that last hit fit, felt really good, by the way. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 1. Church, while you're turning there, thank you so much for sending our young people. I tell you, the most encouraging thing to me was the time that we spent in God's Word. Every morning, every evening, in large group setting and in small group settings, we went through an exposition of the Gospel of John. And I wish you could have heard some of the insights that these kids learned and how they committed themselves to Christ. But that's all because of your investment in their lives. So thank you for doing that. I hope we can take uh, some more of you next year. Everybody and their brother and sister has asked me how I am doing this morning. I would tell you, the kids were great, but I feel like I've been run over by a bus. I mean, you, you know, you talk about it being uphill both ways at Cedarmore, and it was uphill both ways, and they're getting up early, which I don't mind, going to bed late, which I do mind, and the box spring mattress is still indented into my back from the bunk beds, but, you know, other than that, it was great. It's great to see young people on fire for the Lord. Um, if you could have been in the worship service and to see all of these kids expressing and singing and praising the Lord, it really gives you hope for the future for a generation that's going to be greatly challenged. I think they're going to meet that challenge. Matthew chapter 11, let's look at verse 1 this morning, please. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You remember John had served as the forerunner who had prepared the way before the Lord. In Matthew 3, there he is, baptizing Jesus out in the Jordan River, out in the desert, to prepare him for the wilderness. A dove falling down from heaven, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. John, who had preached fearlessly repentance, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, now asking the question, if the heavenly kingdom can ever overcome the earthly one, He's imprisoned by Herod. He's been imperiled by Herod's adulterous wife. And he reaches a point of deep vulnerability when he says, Are you the Christ? Or should we seek another? He's not the only one to ask that question. Maybe things are good for you right now. Maybe things are not so good. But what you need to remember and what you need to understand is to never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. A lot of truth in that statement. 
but many times it's not the reality for us. Faith, in fact, is a wrestle with doubt, and true faith actually demands reason. Can I just say to you today that one of the problems in the Protestant world is our lack of engaging biblical and cultural issues which are minds, which is ironically one of the ways the Lord commands us to follow him. We don't mind loving him with our heart, with our strength, but, but with our mind. It, it's so important. In fact, one historian wrote the, about this in his book, The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind, that we have forgotten what it means to think. And so in church cultures, we say, well, you know what? I don't want to think about all those things. I just want to give my heart to Jesus. I just want to feel his presence, which is important. But the Bible says not only must we worship God in spirit, we must also worship him in truth. And so we don't know basic doctrines, basic confessions, confessions for which many of our forebears, not to mention our Savior, gave their lives. And isn't it something that while informational availability is at an all-time high, biblical literacy may be at an all-time low. And contrary to our popular belief, our faith is not blind. Jesus made sure there were witnesses who attested to his resurrection. The New Testament authors constantly compel us to search the scripture and to always be able to give a reason for the hope that is within us. And, And it is our shameful neglect when we don't desire to follow the Lord with our minds. And yet even the most reasoned and experienced among us struggle with faith from time to time, don't we? Somebody said spiritual discouragement discouragement comes to the best of us. You know, legend has it that the famous evangelist D.L. Moody, based out of Chicago in the latter 19th century, was once approached by a woman who proudly told him that she had never once doubted her salvation, to which Moody was said to have replied, Madam, I doubt that you are saved. It happens. What happens when you begin to believe the least, the ones you're supposed to trust the most? And here's Matthew, the tax collector turned gospel writer, recording an account of John the Baptist, whom Jesus lauds as the greatest born of women, nevertheless struggling with his own grasp of the gospel. Now remember what John had done. John had preached repentance in the wilderness. He, he let loose his righteous condemnation of the Pharisees. They're a brood of vipers who should flee the wrath to come. He had boldly gotten in Herod's face when Herod took his brother's wife as his own, committing adultery, and as a result of that rebuke, Herod threw him in prison. And it's from that prison cell that John begins to doubt. Can you imagine preaching all these years? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then doubting whether or not it's true. One of the hardest things to witness is people who once proclaimed faith fall away from faith. And yet God often works in ways in which we don't understand. When you turn around and you begin to ask the questions, is this really the life I'm supposed to be living? Is this really the way that it's supposed to be? To be, you have to know what that's like at a certain level or you're just going through the motions. Because every time you choose something or someone other than Jesus to satisfy your desires and your longings, you you ask that exact same question. It's like Christian's disposition after encountering the giant of despair and arriving at Doubting Castle in Pilgrim's Progress. It's that voice crying in the wilderness, suddenly becoming overcome, with spiritual laryngitis 
And it all comes down to that same age-old question, is God real? And more importantly, if he's real, is he good? I mean, this is John, who still, as a baby in his mother's womb, leaped for joy at the presence of Jesus. That voice crying in the wilderness now sends word to Jesus through his disciples. Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look or seek for another? Do you know what it's like to ask that question? John did. Peter did. Thomas did. I remember what that's like. You know, I remember as a teenager really wondering if you could truly know that you were saved. I didn't doubt whether God was real. I just doubted whether or not I'd done everything right. You know, did I, did I, did I pray the prayer? Did I turn from my, faith, from, my, from my sins, place my faith in Jesus? And if I committed this sin, was it forgiven or do I need to get saved again? Or if you miss church on Wednesday night or miss Sunday school on Sunday morning, are, are you still okay with God? I, I knew the power of God. But to really know that you could fully trust God is a concept that you really have to experience. And I remember sitting down with my pastor during my sophomore year of high school and he said, Barry, at some point, why don't you just tell the Lord, Lord, heaven or hell, sink or swim, my faith is in you. And that's what I did. And that's what it is to trust in the Lord, especially when you can't see his hands. Brothers and sisters, sometimes the only recourse you have in life is to cling to the promises of God by faith. You know, we are such fragile creatures when things go well we ascend up into heaven and when things don't go well we often want to descend down into hell think about this even the weather affects our attitude one pastor said in our lives in the world the temptation is always to go where the world takes us to drift with whatever current happens to be running strongest when good things happen we rise to heaven when bad things happen we descend to hell i know this to be true of no one as well as i know it to be true of myself i know how just the weather can affect my whole state of mind for good or ill how just getting stuck in a traffic jam can ruin an afternoon that in every other way is so beautiful that it dazzles the heart we are in constant danger of being not actors in the drama of our own lives but reactors dear friends it's okay to have feelings it's not okay to be ruled and governed by them we live by faith and even though there are times when we can more easily sense the working of God than at others, faith is not ultimately dependent on our feelings. It's dependent on what we believe, in whom we choose to trust. And it's not until we believe that we begin to understand. Augustine, who in the early third century used to try to attempt to understand in order to believe, finally realized that he actually had that turn around. I actually have to believe, and then I'm able to understand. And in spite of all of the evidence in the world at our disposal, we still have to place our visible trust in an invisible God when we stop looking horizontally and we start looking vertically. I love how Jesus responds to John in this instance. Can you imagine hearing from the last of the Old Testament prophets before Jesus comes, the one who is to prepare the way, the forerunner, the one who said, I'm not even, unworthy, I'm not even worthy to lower down and unloose your shoelaces, hearing, are you actually the one? And Jesus should have said, man, why didn't you read the script? 
You're abandoning me now? But that isn't what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't even give him a straight yes or no answer. Instead, he expresses compassion. Look at what he says here. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus will later say of John, what would you go out to see? A reed shaken in the wind? That's not true. John is in prison because of his steadfast resolve. What'd you go out to see? Somebody dressed in fine clothes? We know that's not true of John. Similar to the Old Testament prophets, and yet he's more than a prophet. No one born among women, greater than John the Baptist. And yet Jesus doesn't describe those born among women. He talks about being born into the kingdom, that even the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than the greatest one on earth, that John's power and ours comes not from ourselves, but from the Spirit of God working inside us, that the same God who allows us to doubt gently reminds us in a still, small voice, be not afraid. Only believe. And after his crucifixion, the disciples of Jesus are holed up together in an upper room somewhere in Jerusalem. Jesus appears to them in bodily form, displaying his resurrected body, but one of them's not there. Thomas is missing. And Thomas says, unless I see it for myself, I'm not going to believe. Next Sunday, they're all in church again. Jesus shows up, and he goes up to Thomas and says, Thomas, here you go. Feel my hands. See my side. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says some of the most profound words in all the New Testament. He says, Thomas, you believe because you have seen. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. And then the New Testament writer summarizes it well a few years later. He says, whom having not seen you love. He's talking about us. See, you can't see God with your eyes till you first see him with your heart. And sometimes during our moments of greatest discouragement and greatest doubt, it may be God's greatest working in us. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which for centuries was the most widely read book outside the Bible. He wrote it from a prison cell. John the Baptist, while exiled on Patmos, wrote the greatest revelation this world has ever seen. And dear friends, when you begin to doubt, if you can simply cling to the promises of God by faith, what you know to be true, then the God who met you where you are will still meet you where you are and lead you into his presence. I want us to have a time of prayer this morning. Would you bow your heads with me as our musicians come? And I want us to take just a couple of moments as we get ready to exit the service and everything else that takes place following this today. Would you consider asking the Lord, Lord, show me what it means to remember in the dark what I once believed in the light. Maybe you're just wondering about God's plan for your life. Is he good? Maybe your marriage didn't go the way it was supposed to. Maybe your, your kids and your grandkids are not where you hoped they would be. Maybe you just feel in this world so out of place. 
and you ask yourself today, Lord, are you still good? Are you real? And Jesus will say the same thing to you. The lame walk. The blind receive their sight. People's hearts are getting changed. People are coming to know God all over the world. God working often in ways in which we can't see. And then to remember that last phrase, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Let me translate that. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to all those who believe. For in it, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, foolishness to the world, wiser than men, weakness to the world, stronger than men, so that no one should glory in his presence, but the one who glories might glory in the Lord. So dear friend, if you have doubts this morning, just understand you are not alone. The God of this universe will meet you right where you are. Father, I thank you that someone took the time to write down these conversations, this correspondence between Jesus and John. Thank you for that ministry of John the Baptist, the one who prepared the way. And Father, we recognize that if he could doubt, if he could become discouraged, surely we can too. And help us to look to the example who told John, to be encouraged by what he saw, to hear that the prophecies of lives being changed was happening. Oh God, in a world in which it is so easy to doubt your promises, help us to have faith. We realize that even the matter of faith is not so much how, we, how much we have, but who our faith is in that makes the difference. Help us, Lord, to place our faith in you it's my prayer for anyone here today who hasn't done that. Oh God, may they lay their doubts and fears at the foot of the cross and may they come to the only wise God, immortal, invisible, both now and forever, we pray. 